pray with me? Uh, church family, if you would, why don't you take a moment and you pray for you. Uh, you know you better than I know you. You know what you stand in need of today. You know uh, the struggles that you're experiencing. You know in part what you're facing. You know what you're celebrating this morning. And so I just want to invite you, if you would, to take a moment and you, you pray for you. you would be so kind, would you pray for me that uh, the words spoken this morning would be helpful for you in your walk with Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. We thank you that there is is freedom in the good name of Jesus. Thank you that we are no longer uh, captives, that you've set us free uh, to know you, to love you, to follow after you. Lord, thank you that you chased after us, that you called us your own, that you call us sons and daughters. Uh, Not because of our performance for you, but because of the good work of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would use it to form and shape us into the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would change us, that you would change our desires, that you would change our affections. Lord, draw us to yourself. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, Church family, just a quick reminder before we jump in this morning. Two weeks from today, September the 17th and the 24th, Following the service, we're going to share with you our next steps as it pertains uh, to the land that we purchased last year. We have six and a half acres right off of Ridge Road. You may remember that uh, one of our prayers this year was that God would allow us to break ground. Uh, We're going to share with you what it's going to take in order for that to happen. So two things, be praying. Uh, Ask God to prepare our hearts for what he has in store for us. And then secondly, uh, circle your calendar. Uh, It'll be the same talk, same information Uh, whether you're here on the 17th or the 24th. And so I would love to see you as we uh, share together the good work that God is doing. A strange question to ask you this morning, uh, but who here has ever been to an art museum? Show of hands. Show of hands. Art museum. Thank you. Uh, uh, for For the men raising their hand, how many of you went to the art museum solely because of the girl you were dating? Just, okay. You're even afraid to raise your hand. I, I, I like art museums. I almost said I love them. I don't know if I love them, but I've been before a couple times. Uh, and they're fascinating places. Like you walk into a large room and it is nearly empty, except for one picture on the wall. It strikes me as odd. Sometimes I look at it and I think, I don't know if this is the best use of space. All of this room and one picture on the wall. Occasionally you'll look and there's a bench in front of the picture where maybe someone is sitting with a little sketchbook. They're drawing the picture that they see on the wall. Uh, Some people will shuffle through the room and they'll just stare. They'll stare at the picture on the wall. They'll look at the picture. They'll admire the picture. They might, I don't know, they might even be blown away by the picture on the wall. Have you ever had that experience before? You know, recently I got 
to thinking, I wonder if our response uh, to grace uh, isn't similar to a picture that we see on the wall. We admire it. We may study it. We may be impressed by it. But I don't know if we walk away changed. And so I got to thinking, I, I wonder if God's grace in life... Hold on one second. I wonder if God's grace in life isn't a whole lot uh, more than something to simply look at and admire. Like I wonder if, if, if God's grace is supposed to stir us and spur us in some way, shape, or form uh, to live for Jesus. Uh, we've been in uh, the book of James for a couple months now, and a, and a couple weeks ago we were in James chapter 4. I don't know if you remember the passage or not, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes to the church and points out some problems. Right? He says to the church, essentially, you've got some issues. He identifies the problem and he talks about the source of the problem. If you remember, we said the issue at heart is our heart. We have, we have wrong desires and longings. And because of that, James tells the church there are fights and there are quarrels in the church. Uh, this particular church is marked by a prayerlessness. Uh, you don't have because you don't ask. Like You live self-sufficient lives. You, you think that you don't need anything and so you don't come before God and ask for it. He continues on and says, when you do ask, you ask for the wrong reasons and for the wrong purpose. You ask to advance your own cause in your own name. James essentially uh, rebukes the church. Uh, this is what we would call back in the day a come to Jesus meeting. Like if you've ever been in a room before, maybe you had a brother or sister when mom or dad was a little angry and they were kind of letting them have it and you weren't in trouble, but your brother or sister was, and you, like, it's, you, you sort of want to hide, but you also kind of want to listen? You know? You're like, I'm glad that's not me. Right? You're taking it in. Like, we have an opportunity to kind of take in what James is saying to the church. But what I love about this passage, and we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is that James doesn't just simply take the church to task. He, he certainly lets them have it. I mean, he's open and honest with them. But he doesn't leave them there. Right? there. There's this phrase in James chapter 4, verse 6 that is life-giving. It's just five words in the English translation. James writes and says, but he gives more grace. And God gives more grace. The very thing that we need, the very thing that we're desperate for, God gives to His kids. And so James rebukes the church. He shines a light on the problem of their hearts and how they live. And then he says to them life-giving words, but He gives more grace. But He doesn't stop there. And that's what's interesting to me. James doesn't simply hang the portrait of grace up on the wall and say, isn't it beautiful? And it is. 
James is going to encourage the church to move and act upon the grace that is already theirs in Christ. He says in verse 6, But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen to this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. Be uh, wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Uh, We learn from God's Word that God's grace does a couple of things. On one hand, God's grace both frees us uh, and God's grace fuels us. God's grace frees us. Us. In our brokenness, in our sin, in our stubbornness, God's grace meets you and me. When sinful desires lead us away from God and cause us uh, to follow our own hearts, uh, when fights and quarrels amongst God's people spring up because of our desires, God's grace meets us. When our spiritual lives are marked with seasons of prayerlessness, God's grace meets us. When we ask, but for all of the wrong reasons, God's grace meets us. It frees us. And isn't it good news that there is God's grace for you and for me? God extends grace to us in spades. It never runs out. There is grace when there are daily reminders that you're not a spiritual finished product. Ever been reminded of that before? Uh, There is grace when there is irrefutable evidence that while becoming more like Jesus, you're not Jesus. Uh, There is grace when you experience your own inability to manage your thoughts or your emotions or your words or your actions again. There is grace. There is grace when you're reminded that there are still areas of your life that you don't want to relinquish control, when you want to hang on tightly, when you are fighting to sit on the throne of your own life. There is grace. And that grace frees us. It frees us. God's grace frees us because in Jesus there is no condemnation that, that grace when we uh, feel like there are uh, massive amounts of guilt on our heart or in, in our life, uh, God's grace frees us from condemnation. But God's grace not only frees us, it also fuels us. God's grace fuels us. Verse 6, but He gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So what do I mean when I say God's grace fuels us? What I mean is that grace isn't just a picture on the wall uh, to be admired, to be looked at, to be studied, to be appreciated. It it is all of those things, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, God's grace compels us and moves us to act. Who receives God's grace? It says God opposes the proud but gives grace uh, to the humble. Uh, James does not let this word of grace stand by itself. Uh, God's grace demands a response. And the response that God's grace demands is humility. 
Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace uh, to the humble. Psalm 18, 27, uh, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 138, verse 6, The Lord is in heaven, but he watches over those who are free of pride. He knows those who are proud and stays far away from them. God gives grace uh, to the humble. And if that is true, then our desire should be for uh, humility. But like, how do we get that? How does humility come into our hearts and into our lives? Do we kind of cross our fingers and tap our toes? Like, how does it happen? Do we just simply kind of wear a, a T-shirt and declare that we are humble? Uh, last week, I was, uh, I was working out, which is not a humble thing to say, but I was. And I looked up and someone had on a t-shirt that read, stay humble. I kind of like that. Stay humble. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I wonder if they already think they are humble. <laughs> like, boy, am I humble. And I'm, I'm just kind of hoping I stay that way. That's not a humble thing to think. But, but how does it come? Like, how does one become humble? What are, what are signs of humility in your life and in mine? Well, James tells us, kind of answers the question in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. One of the ways that humility is revealed in your life and in mine is through submission. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you've thought about this before. Admittedly, I don't think about it a whole lot. Submission, even in saying that word, can leave a sour taste in our mouths. Like if you've had a bad experience before where someone in authority has come over you and said things like, well, just do what you're told. Like quit asking questions. Just submit. Like you, you may read that and go, I don't, I don't know about that. Like I don't, I don't know if I, if I want to submit. But James is saying one of, the, one of the marks of humility in life is our willingness to come under the authority of God, and submit to Him, to submit uh, to His Word. This isn't a, a once-and-done kind of thing either. This is a way of life. We never graduate from submission. Like, we never move on. We never say to the Lord, well, I did that when I was younger, <laughs> but those days are gone. No, this is, a, this is a lifestyle of submission. God gives us the opportunity to do this each and every day. This, this plays out on a horizontal level and it plays out on a vertical level. It plays out horizontally in our relationships. Maybe a marriage relationship, maybe a friendship with our, with our children or in our jobs. Like there, there, are, there are times when we're called to, to set aside our desires or our longings or our wants uh, for the sake of another. I think it was probably 12 or 13 years ago. It was a Saturday morning. It was in November. And uh, Melissa had a great idea to make a memory. Uh, she does this really well. She loves making memories as a family. And she had a great idea to go uh, pick out a Christmas tree and to cut it down. What a great idea. She found a place online. And she's like, James, this is a great place. It's, I don't know, like a day and a half away. We can all... I'm not mad anymore. We, we can, but there are a lot of places to get trees on the way there. I'm just saying. Like right on the corner, we could have gone there. Whatever. We, we, she's, she's like, I found this place. There's, 
there's, there's hay and there's donuts for the kids and cider. She's like, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a great time. And I'm like, you know what? All right. We can do it. We can do it. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. We piled into the van and we drove, you know, day and a half or whatever to cut down a tree. The thing that Melissa did not know that I knew was that the day we went to cut down the Christmas tree was the day of the Michigan-Ohio State game. They know. They know. Do you know what you do on the day of the Michigan-Ohio State game? You watch it. You watch the Michigan-Ohio State game. But I took one for the team. And I spent all day, all day, reminding the team that I took one for. Uh, Quite honestly, uh, I was a jerk. I mean, I was a jerk. And I wasn't any fun to be around. Um, Submission, setting aside your, your desires, your wants, your longings for the sake of another, um, is, isn't just doing something but being miserable about it. It's, it's telling someone else, I, I love you and I, and I care for you. And, and, if, and if that's what you want to do, then, then yes. A beautiful picture of submission is spoken of by the great theologian Wesley. Um, not, not John Wesley or Charles Wesley, but Wesley from The Princess Bride. <laughs> when he tells Princess Buttercup, whenever she asks, you to, whenever she asks him to do a chore... He simply says, as you wish. And as the story is told by the grandfather in that movie, whenever Wesley spoke those words, he meant, I love you. Right? So that's the, that's the posture of the follower of Jesus. As, as we, we come before him and we just say, God, like, as, as you wish. Like, so we come to his word and we read his word and we say, God, as you wish. Like, I, I love you. I love you. And so if you tell me to go, I'm going to go. If you tell me to stay, I'm going to stay. If you tell me to move, I'm going to move. As you wish. I wonder, church, is there, is there an area in, in your heart and in your life now that is functionally off limits to God? Like, what would it look like if you submitted in, in that area, if you gave that over to the Lord? And just simply said, as you wish. I don't know what that is uh, for you, but I do believe that that kind of of posture is the posture that God wants for His children. I think that, that way of submission is a fruit of humility in our hearts and in our lives. And so James is going to paint a picture in these next few verses of, of what does it look like to respond to the grace that is ours. He, he had talked about submitting, submitting our ways to uh, the Lord. And then he, he says this in verse 7 of James chapter 4, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So there's three kind of couplets, three ideas that James talks about in these couple of verses. The first one that you'll notice is, is that as we respond to God's grace, we resist and we draw near. And he says, resist the devil, resist the devil. A resist is a military term. It means to stand against. It brings to mind this picture or this idea of spiritual warfare at times, even hand-to-hand combat. Uh, it, it recalls to mind Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so James, just like Paul here, is saying a stand against the schemes of, of the devil. Resist the enemy. The Christian life, I don't know what picture you have of it, what metaphor comes uh, to mind, but the Christian life uh, is a battle. It's not a breeze. You've ex- I mean, you've experienced this before. You know this. Like you, you live life for any amount of time and, and you take on enemy fire. You, like metaphorically, life punches you. There's an enemy. Right? It's hard. Life is hard. If you signed up for the Christian life thinking that it was going to be easy, that God has a wonderful plan for your life, that everything is just going to, start, going to kind of fall into place from here on out, you're going to be disappointed. The Christian life is not a casual walk. It is war. So James writes to the church and says, resist the enemy. Resist the enemy. Use the armor that God has given to you, the Spirit, the Word, and fight against the enemy. This is how we live the Christian life, by the the power that God has given to us. We don't manage sin. We don't manage our sin. We don't go, oh, there's, you know, there's some things in life that we know they're, they're kind of wrong and we shouldn't do them, but, it, you know, it's not a big deal. Everybody's got something. That's just my thing. We don't function like that. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body to go into hell. And Jesus is going, this is serious business. Fighting sin is serious business. Puritans used to say, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's no joke. So James says, resist the devil. And then he says, draw near to God. I love what one author wrote. He said, inch toward God and he will step toward you. Step toward God and he will spring toward you. Spring toward God and he will fly toward you. Uh, God is not a disinterested parent. Right? He never says when you come to him, hey, now is not a good time. Like God, God always has availability for his children. He always welcomes you and delights in hearing uh, from you. Like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So God has brought us near to him in Jesus. Listen, God is with His kids through and by His Spirit. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. God is omnipresent, which means there's nowhere we can go and hide from God. There's no place where God isn't. But listen, James is telling the church, draw near. 
to God. Yes, 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 God's with you. Yes, God hasn't left you. Yes, God will never forsake you, but, but draw near to him. This is an invitation by James to the church uh, to, to come to God. He, he's not setting it up like it's a 50-50 deal, like, like God is somehow in heaven going, well, if you just meet me halfway, I'll, I'll come to you. James isn't saying that. But, 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 but there is this like, sweet invitation where we can draw near to God. How do we do that? How do we draw near to a God who is everywhere? Well, we draw near to Him in prayer. Like we cry out, like God is accessible. And so we come to Him and say, Father, it's me again. I need you. God, help. God, meet with me. And God does that. Go to God today. Like maybe you think, man, I don't, I don't have a dynamic prayer life. I don't know what that looks like. I struggle. I wrestle. Okay. Go to God today. He will meet with you. J- James tells us how to respond to, to grace, resist the devil, draw near to God. And then he's going to call the church to repent, wash and purify he says, cleanse your hands in James chapter 4, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Whoa. Like, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In case you didn't notice, like soft and gentle James, like, this is different. And this isn't like, hey, brothers in the Lord, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Like he's, he's writing to the church. You, do, you don't see this verse on a coffee mug. Like, I don't know if you look, you version verse of the day. I thought about this this morning. Billy was like, with a you version verse of the day, what was it? Like, he, he's like, I, I just pulled it up. I had it on my phone. I took a picture of it. I think it was Psalm 100, verse 2. Look at Psalm 100, verse 2. It's going to take me a day and a half to get there. I should have brought my phone with me. I think this is right. Psalm 102. Uh, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day I will call. I don't know if that was it or not. But it was so encouraging. It was the verse of the day. He read it and I was like, yeah, yes and amen. You know what's not the verse of the day? This isn't the verse of the day. I mean, you're not going to pull out your phone and read, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Nobody's got that t-shirt. But I mean, listen. Like, James wasn't joking. He wasn't joking. I mean, he's calling the church out. When he said, when when he called them double-minded, it literally means two-souled. Like, it's this idea of like, I mean, you've got a foot in the world and a a foot in God's house. Like, you're you're, you're, you're playing both sides. And so James calls them out. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
God, God calls us to a single-minded allegiance to Himself. He wants us to have eyes only for Him. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, literally single-minded. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Church, is there, is there, uh, is there, is there something in, in your heart or in your life where I mean, God's calling you to come clean? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know what you wrestle with. I don't know what you think about late at night. I don't know how you operate in the confines of your own home. Like, I really don't. But I, I just wonder, is, is, is God's Spirit just shining a light into your heart, like even now, going, man, just like come clean, like repent. Like great <laughs> grace is yours. So resist the devil, and draw near to God, and repent. And then James continues and invites us not only to repent, but to lament. Verse nine: Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. While gloom is not a characteristic of, a, of the Christian life, mourning over sin is. Grieve describes the wretchedness one ought to experience when he falls into sin. Be devastated is a perfect expression of what grieve really means. Mourn expresses inner grief and wail. Wail is a reference to a funeral lament. Like this is an invitation from James to lament, to be broken over our sin. James wants us to grasp the seriousness of sin. Like he doesn't want us to have a flippant attitude that goes, well, you know, we, <laughs> past is the past, or you know, who among us has made a few mistakes back in the day? James wants us to grasp the seriousness of sin, not not because he's inviting us to do penance. Like God's not an angry parent going, you sit there and you think about what you've done. And when you're really sorry, you can come talk to me. That, that's not what James is inviting the church to do. I think he is inviting the church to understand the seriousness of sin and, and, and to, to be brokenhearted over it. An old preacher was informed in one of his services that a, cer- a certain woman had gotten what was described as the joy uh, in the Lord, which was synonymous with conversion. She had been saved. She'd gotten the joy in the Lord. And this pastor responded with a penetrating question. Did she ever get any sorrow? Now you can hear that and go, come on. Like, maybe that feels a little unnecessary. Just celebrate. But celebration follows the sorrow. It's us being gripped by our sin and broken over our own sin and then going to God and experiencing the forgiveness that is ours. I think about the story that's told in the Gospels of Peter's denial of Jesus. 
I was always fascinated with Peter's response when uh, the light kind of shines down on his heart and he realizes what he's done. I I want you to notice just how he responds to his own brokenness and sin in Luke chapter 22. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, uh, they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So you know the story. Jesus is taken away. He's arrested. Peter's following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man, who, uh, this man was with him. Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. I am not. I don't know him. Verse 59, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. So Peter denied Jesus three times. And the text says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And listen uh, to how Peter responded. Verse 62, And he went out and wept bitterly. I don't think Peter wept bitterly because he was caught. Like, ha ha, we got you. I think Peter wept bitterly because he knew Jesus and walked with Jesus and in some sense loved Jesus. And he denied Jesus. Functionally, when, when we choose to go our own way in sin, we're essentially denying who God is. We're going like, thanks, but no thanks. I'll do my own thing. James writes and says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. One commentator said, this is a scathing denunciation of Christians who are so insensitive and superficial that they are laughing when they ought to be weeping. And then he asked the question, have we wept over our sins. Like church family, when's the last time that you, that you wept over your sin? Again, I'm not, like this is, <laughs> I'm not saying what we, that we have to d- drum up something within us so that we feel bad enough about what we've done. But when's the last time that, that we have, have seen our, our sin in part and we've just like, wept. Like, God, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so broken. I'm so needy. This is an invitation that James gives to the church in response to the grace that is ours, to, to confront sin in our own hearts and to be broken over it. Resist and draw near, repent and lament. Now, James ends this little section in James chapter 4 with how he began. Uh, look at verse 10. Humble yourselves, uh, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
I love that. Those are kind of the, the book ends of this little passage, this call to humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When I read this verse, I thought of the picture of a little boy or a little girl uh, who has done something that they know they should not do. And they come up to their, to their father and they bury their head in his chest and they just shed tears. Because they know that, that they did something that they shouldn't have. Have you ever been there before? If you have, have had kids, maybe you've had this experience before. Where your little boy or your little girl uh, comes into your chest and just cries and just says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And then, and then a father will put his, put his hands on the shoulders of his son or daughter. And he'll look at them, but the little boy or little girl is looking down in shame, tears streaming down their face. And a, and a good dad will lift up their chin and then look them in the eyes and say, I, I still love you, bud. Like, I still love you. Like You are mine. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. God, God will, will be the lifter of your head. And so may the grace of God uh, be yours. And may we, as the people of God, uh, respond well to it. Uh, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for uh, the grace that you have extended to us in and through your son Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you that the grace that has been given to us as a gift, unmerited favor, that grace that's ours compels us and moves us to act. Uh, give us the strength to do that by the power of your Spirit. Uh, cause in us a longing and a desire uh, to know you and to follow you and to chase after you. Lord, we need your help to do that, and so we ask for it this morning. Uh, God, I pray for the church family this morning. I pray for your sons and daughters that you would uh, cause them to, to do heart work this morning, uh, that you would stir in them a willingness to to, to think, to, to wonder, to ask if there are things in their heart, in their life that they need to relinquish and let go of, that they need to submit. If there's things that we need uh, to confess, to repent, to lament over, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.